Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. Um, it is November 11th. I have to look. <laughs> Can you believe how fast this year has gone? I'm not kidding. You. It seems like just yesterday it was the end of 2017, and I was working on our 2018 ministry calendar, and it had dual colors on it. It had events on it. It looked so good, and it's just been moving through the year, and I was looking at it last week, and there's nothing left on the calendar. And I was like, wow, this year is over, and I have not even started on 2019 yet. So uh, this year has just uh, flown by. It's pretty much over. We've got the holidays, which are really important uh, for us to be able to get to, especially as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, But, you know, as I look back on this past year, I've already started reflecting on the year and looking forward to 2019. In all honesty, I am in 2019. Um, But I look back at 2018, I can just see where God has been so faithful uh, to our ministry. He has uh, provided for our needs. Uh, All of our financial needs have been met. Lives have been changed. People have made faith commitments. We've had baptisms. Uh, We have new members. We started three brand new small groups as we got ready to move into this series, and so I'm celebrating that. And I know that is a huge answer to prayer, you know, for me. (laughs) I love Sunday morning, but I know that relationships just happen best in the context of small groups. And so I want to thank all of you that jumped into one for our Real God series. And uh, it's been exciting for me to see the impact that we've had on our community. It was really neat to see how many people came through for Trunk or Treat. Uh, How many came through for voting? Uh, this past week. Yeah, we had, I don't know how many thousands of people came through voting, but it wrapped all the way down the back. It wrapped down the line. It curved back around and went back to the fireplace. That was so fun um, just to be able to walk around and see how many people I knew in line. And um, it has been just uh, exciting to see how much of an impact that this church has had um, on our community. And I know it's because that God has been faithful. But you know what's interesting? These are all good things. You know, these are positive things. These are things that you can look back on and say, wow, that was really cool. What's interesting is that uh, we affiliate God's faithfulness with good things. I mean, if you think about this list for a second, I am in financial need or I'm trying to find a way to provide for my family. I might be looking for a job and I am praying that God would provide for me. And, And when it happens, it's like, God is so faithful. He provided for me. You know, I think about how many times I've had issues with my car. We're down a car. I'm looking for a car. We got a car. And uh, God, we had some issues with the cars at the beginning of the year. My daughter's car got stolen. It got totaled. The police were involved. We bought one. She needed it. And we've been praying for a car. God provided a car. God was so faithful. You know, and it comes down to our issues of our health. You know, I think about how many times I've prayed for you know, sickness and how many people I'm praying for here at Springbrook. And, you know, health is one of those things that I think God's going to be faithful. I think he's going to answer my prayer. You know, I'm still waiting to see. Or I talk to so many people that are just in the context of our marriage or are praying for their spouses and they're praying that God would be faithful in the, in the context of their relationship. And it's like, well, you know, maybe God will be faithful there. You know, with my kids, you know, and people with, with their kids, and maybe it's with your kids. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm praying for God's faithfulness that he would raise my kids up. And so there's, you know, maybe. And so we think about God's faithfulness with regard to good things, answers to prayer, and when things go our way. You know, we think about God's faithfulness in terms of favorability. But what happens when this happens? 
What happens when there's an accident? God is faithful when things go wrong. I was working with a family. I was working specifically with a man who uh, lost his wife. It was the day before their 50th wedding anniversary. They had been making plans for the weekend. She had gotten up early to go to the grocery store so that she could buy milk and cereal for breakfast. This is not an actual picture of the scene, but it was pretty darn close. And I found myself trying to talk to somebody in the grips of this reality, trying to make sense of where is God in this? I mean, does anybody wake up in the morning thinking, well, there's an answer to prayer? That's not the way we think. We don't look for God's faithfulness in the midst of our tragedies. Now, here's something that's a little closer to home for me. I got permission to share this, but uh, it's Carolyn's story to share at some point. You know, we'll get to share that. But many of you know that she struggled with cancer. And when we got that cancer diagnosis and we started looking it up, I had to just, (laughs) 50% of patients live five years. What do you do with that? I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, hey, I'm praying for the health of my family and praying for my wife. Hey, you got some good news here. God is so faithful. I mean, where is God's faithfulness in that? And, as, and I'm praying, you know, uh, you know uh, for these statistics, and, you know, God has been faithful through this, but I think there's a tendency at first to say, okay, God, where were you in that? And so if she turns out okay, if things work out all right, is God faithful only if things are good? And he's not going to be faithful if things are not good? I mean, where is God's faithfulness in our tragedy? Where's God's faithfulness in our pain? And we're trying to find an explanation for, you know, a handle on the moment. And there's a problem when it comes to trying to balance God's faithfulness. You see, God's faithfulness is not something that's weighed by our circumstances. It's not based on whether things are going good or bad. And that is a problem. We've got to change the way we think about God's faithfulness because the problem with this is the second that things go bad and we take something off the scale, it it tips and we question who God is. God's faithfulness is not something that we hold in balance based on our circumstances. That's not how we understand God's faithfulness. It's not a balancing act not based on our circumstances and when things go good and bad. You know, next week, our small groups are going to be studying the book of Lamentations. How many of you have already looked at it? Has anybody already looked through the study for next week? Unless you're on track. I know a couple of groups got ahead. How many of you are in a small group? All right, you guys are in for a treat. You know, you're going to be looking at Lamentations uh, next week. And I'm telling you, um, we, have, we have three more of these books left. And this is the last workbook. So um, we got into a little pinch with materials, and so I appreciate your patience with us. Um, I'm going to put these right here. <laughs> so anybody that wants the last workbook, we've got three or four of those books out at the uh, Mastery Center counter. But it has been such a good study for me personally. You know, it's interesting. I looked at the study, and I looked at what people were going to be studying next week. And you know, I've read through Lamentations uh, several times. And so I've read through uh, the books of the Bible, the different devotions, and so I can't, I 
can't, I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. I've got a friend of mine that actually tracks that, but you know, I've read through Lamentations. I can't tell you how many times. And uh, as I was looking through it, I thought there's a couple highlights, a couple interesting words, but for the most part, there's no notes in my margin. You know, it's interesting to think back. I've been in ministry now for over 20 years, and I have never taught from Lamentations. I usually highlight passages as I'm teaching, and I opened this book up, and there was not one highlight in Lamentations. You know why? I don't like the book. <laughs> That's the honest part. A lot of times people compare me, oh, that Leviticus. Have you ever read Leviticus? I love Leviticus. That's a great book. But ask me about Lamentations, and I'll tell you, you know what? That's just a book. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I have just avoided Lamentations. I just don't like it. It's just too depressing. I read through that, and it's like, man, the guy is going on and on and on. And it's just like, wow, this is just an interesting read. <laughs> i got to skip over this. I mean, who wants to be brought down into that level, that level of pain? I mean, you know, I was actually, as I was preparing for this morning, I was going to make reference to Lamentations, and I was going to share a couple of passages with you. And then I was going to actually look at 1 Corinthians because I love the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is my kind of guy. He just grabs the bull by the horns. He's a man of faith. Lives have been changed. And that's the kind of guy that I realize, (laughs) manly, we're going to take the world for Christ here. I got through Lamentations and was like, oh, I'm going to look at it. Let me see if there's something in here that God might have before I just skip over it. And I'm not kidding you. God just grabbed my heart as I went through this book. I struggled with it because it's kind of icky, and I'm not really an icky uh, kind of guy. But as I've been reading through it and studying it, God has given me such clarity and a better view of what his faithfulness looks like. If you brought a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Lamentations. It's right in the middle. Go to the right a couple couple chapters. It's right behind Jeremiah. You just kind of pass through that. If you brought your uh, iPod or your iPhone or tablet, Turn to Lamentations with me. It's just something that you don't want to miss out on. There's too many verses that I wanted to share with you for me to put them up on the screen. And so I'm going to read uh, some of them to you. I'm going to begin with Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city, once it was so full of people. How like a widow she is, who once was great among the nations... She who was the queen among the providence has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there's no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feasts. At her gateways, there's desolation. Her priests groan. Her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her master. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princesses are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before her. 
like a pursuer. They have left her. I'd like to say that's where it stops, but it goes on and on and on. You know, uh, I think that Jeremiah is the um, author of Lamentations. There's some speculation about that, but you know, Jeremiah's ministry was around 626 B.C. This was written between 587 and 520 uh, B.C., so this was all before Christ. And um, I think as you read through the writings, as you look at the language, as you look at what's being spoken into, and the fact that Jeremiah was seeing this, I, I really think that Jeremiah was the author. He, had a, he faced a lot of persecution as you read through Jeremiah. Um, he wrote uh, Kings. Um, he wrote uh, Jeremiah. Uh, but as you read through Jeremiah's life, he's one of those major Old Testament prophets. And um, he just had conflicts with people. He was trying to speak the truth. Um, he's a passionate guy. He's actually known as the weeping prophet. I can almost hear him crying as he writes this lament, this lamentations. And so as you read through chapter 1, you're thinking, man, where is this going? Well, verse 10, he says this, The enemy has laid hands on all of her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary. Those people were not in, allowed in there. Now they're just all overthrowing it. Those you had, forbid, had forbidden from going in there are now just freely flowing and entering your assembly. All of her people groan. They search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Oh, look and consider this and what's happening. I am despised. This is not good. To read on down through verse 16. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there's no one there to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob this, that neighbors come and become their foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. And he goes on and on. And then we get to the end of chapter 1. I'm thinking, people have heard my groaning, but there's no one there to come comfort me. My enemies have heard my distress. They rejoice at what they have done. And, and you bring the day, you bring the day, you have announced so that they may become like me. I'm praying that people would experience what I'm experiencing. Let their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. And I get to the end of chapter one, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Chapter two, let's see what that says. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with his cloud of anger and wrath. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princesses down to the ground in dishonor. And he goes on and on as we move through chapter 2. It's just the same. I'm reading down through this, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to skip a couple of verses here. And I go over towards the middle, and I get to verse 14. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin. And you're going through chapter 2, and I'm thinking, man, i got to get to the end of chapter 2. And so I get to the end of chapter 2, and it's like the young and old together in the dust of the streets. They're in the dust of the streets. My young men and my maidens have fallen by the sword. You've slain them in your day and your anger. You've slaughtered them without pity. As you summon a feast today, you summon against me. Terrors on every side in the day of the Lord's anger. No one escaped. No one survived. Those I cared for, those I reared, my enemy has destroyed. Oh, chapter 2, man, let's get on with this. I get to chapter 3, I'm thinking, man, maybe this is going to be the change. 
I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. And he continues to go on and on. It's like chapters and chapters of lament. Who wants to read that? You know, when I think about all the books of the Bible that I could preach on, all the books that I do for my morning devotion, Lamentations is not where my mind goes. I want answers to my prayer. I want God's faithfulness to be revealed in my life and my needs. He knows the desires of my heart. God, answer this prayer, and this is not the answer I'm expecting. When we are hurting and we are in pain, where is God in that? Where is his faithfulness in this? I don't like lamentations because there's just too much pain. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced this level of pain and turmoil and suffering and uncertainty? Where is God's faithfulness? And we find out in chapter 3. Praise God. (laughs) I don't want you to miss this. Beginning in verse uh, 16. He has broken my teeth with a gavel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone, and all that I have hoped for from the Lord is gone. I remember my affliction, and I remember my wanderings, and I remember the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. And then he says this in verse 21. But... This I call the mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. You know, I know other translations. It's been interesting to do some translations, and just, you know, the NIV says, yet I call the mind, and there's some different translations on this, but I love the translation from the ESV. It says, but. You know, this is what's going on in my mind, but I call this to mind and I remember this. It's almost like my mind is thinking this way, but I'm going to remember this way and think this way. It's a change of direction. That word but means... In spite of my circumstances, I know this to be true. That word but is so important. Every time you see the word but in Scripture, circle it. If you ever see the word therefore, circle it. You know, there's just some words in the Bible when you read them, you just need to stop and park on it and say, hey, what's this therefore, therefore? What's this but therefore? I love the words as a result of, which means this is a directly relation to what's happening. And so some words you just want to... You want to stop and park on it, but is one of them. But this I call the mind. I remember it. It's come back. It wasn't there, but now it is. It has returned. My mind was over there, but now it's here. The writer's saying, with this situation, I was broken. I was in distress. I was hurting. But this I call the mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, we have hope because of the steadfast love of the Lord. It's steadfast. It's unchanging. Nothing's going to happen to it. It's always there. 
that gives me hope. No matter what's happening in my life, I know that to be true. I know that his mercies never come to an end. At the end of the day, I am worn out. And I go home and I sleep. God doesn't sleep. His mercies never come to an end. I never wake up in the middle of the night that I can't say, God, where are you and what is going on in this? God's mercies never come to an end. He is always there. And not only that, but they are new every single morning. When I wake up every morning, it's a new day. doesn't matter what's going on in my life. doesn't matter what's going on in your life. doesn't matter what's going on in our circumstances. I know that when I wake up tomorrow morning, God has something new for me. And that gives me hope. Because he is faithful. See, that's the character of God. We can have hope because of these things. His faithfulness is great. It's his character. It's who he is. I know sometimes I wonder about that. Sometimes I don't feel that. Sometimes I've got questions about that. Maybe your faith is being challenged this week. Maybe you're not sure about your faith. We're glad you're here if you've got questions about that. Maybe you have no faith that God is faithful. You know, wherever you are this morning, God meets you right where you're at. I love what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he's still going to remain faithful. He can't deny himself. And so the reality is, is whether or not you think God's faithful or not, that's up to you. But know this, God is faithful. That's who he is. That's the character of who God is. God is faithful. And it's revealed to us in his character. It is not defined by our circumstances or what's going on around us. God is faithful. That's a reality that we just know to be true because of Scripture. I know what's in this book. I know it's changed my life. I've seen it change the life of others. I know God is faithful in the midst of my circumstances. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. I am never by myself. And that is the character of God And then I know this, God's faithfulness is experienced best through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is where I wanted to start this morning. I wanted to start with God's faithfulness and just explaining that we can best experience it through a relationship with Christ. I didn't want to go through lamentations. (laughs) I really didn't. But as I wrestled through Jeremiah's writings, as I wrestled through the level of hurt and despair, it's there that God really meets us. You see, when things are going good, God doesn't, you know, we don't necessarily recognize it. I've got a friend of mine. I've known him for 10 years. Every single time I have, oh, things are great. I have never heard him complain about one thing. So praise God for that. You know, but there's, there's times when God does do that. But God meets us in our brokenness because it's there that he can do his best work. It's not my will, but God's will be done. If you, if you want to experience that, it comes from wrestling through something that's not in your will. You know, even though you feel like God's far off, you just need to know he's not. Maybe you're not sure about your faith. That's okay. God's got you covered. You know, maybe you think that God's not faithful at all. That's okay. God's got the faith for you. He is still faithful. He's faithful, and we recognize the fullness of that through who we are in Christ. And see, this, is the, this for me is where I find you know, my passion, I love talking to people about Jesus. I love the Apostle Paul. 
I was looking down through uh, First uh, Corinthians this morning, and I just love, I love Paul. Paul opens up his books, and, you know, the Apostle Paul, called by Jesus Christ as an apostle. There's such strength in his conviction and his understanding of, of who he is. I love the confidence that he has because of who he is in Christ, not because of who he is in the flesh, but because he who he is in Christ. He says, I don't come to you with eloquence of clean speeching. This is all I know, that, that, that I am secure in who I am in Christ. There's such freedom that comes from knowing who you are in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You want to know if God is faithful? Look to the cross. I know that God's faithful because I have been forgiven. Experiencing the fullness of that forgiveness is evidence in my life that God is faithful. My life has been changed. And if you have a relationship with Christ, your life has been changed. You know, here's the hope that we have in Christ, fully realized in God's faithfulness. He is faithful because he has called us into a relationship with himself. We experience the fullness of that faithfulness when we fully understand who we are in Christ. If you have a chance this afternoon, I encourage you to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Fascinating book. I give you a sense of where we're rooted and who we are in Christ. And Paul's understanding of uh, God's faithfulness being revealed to us through his son is, is great news for those of us that have it. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then I would encourage you today <laughs> to explore that decision. Because I've been in my experience that a lot of times people don't trust God. And my first question is, tell me about Jesus. It's been my experience that the majority of people that I talk to that are wondering about God, don't have faith in God, haven't wrestled through the reality of who they are in Christ. And so if that's where we are this morning, I want to encourage you to wrestle that through. We exist as a church to help people in our community understand who Jesus is and how to have a relationship with him and then ex- help them to experience growing in their faith in Christ. That's what the body of Christ is all about. And that's why we're here and that's why we're glad you're here. You know, there's a uh, passage in John I had been reflecting on and when Jesus was walking around with the disciples, he was stirring up a lot of conflict. Uh, he got, got himself in trouble with the Pharisees. He was, he was always in trouble with somebody. Um, you know, the Jews, you know, he ended up getting crucified because he blasphemed. He, he claimed to be God. So I love talking to people that don't think Jesus is God. Well, it's like, well, you know why we celebrate Easter, right? Because it was claims to be God and because of the challenges that he was, you know, making against the Jews. And so they just wanted him out of there. But it was all part of God's plan. You know, but Jesus, as you read through his ministry, is constantly encountering difficulty. And the disciples, they want to follow him, but every time there's a difficulty, they're like, oh, you sure? I don't know what you think. <laughs> Are they going to follow him into this trial? <laughs> it was a John, in John chapter 6, um, Jesus is, you know, confronting error. He's, um, he's teaching, and the things that he's saying are just really difficult. <laughs> you know, you know um, Hey, good news. If you want to follow me, uh, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Those are difficult things to say. You know, uh, when we talk to to people about having a relationship with Christ, it's like you realize it's not about your will, but about doing God's will in your life. A relationship with Christ is not just about getting into heaven. It's not just a savior issue, but now he's your Lord. He's your master. You're his slave. You do what he says to do. And, And by the way, this is the Bible. And so when you talk to somebody about how difficult it is to do this, I mean, this is hard. These, these teachings are hard. Some of this stuff in here is really hard. 
And Jesus is walking around with the disciples, and some of them are like, I don't know about this. And they start to leave. As you read through John chapter 6, as you move down towards the end of the chapter, it's like, you know, there's some stuff going on, and like, everybody's left him, right? He's there by himself, and there's a couple of disciples that are still with him. And, and uh, he looks over uh, to Simon Peter, and he goes, are you going to leave too? I mean, everybody else is leaving me. Are you going to leave? And I love, I love his response in John 6. He says this, I don't know where else to go. Lord, to who shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's no other choice. There's no place else for me to go. You are where I've placed my hope. It's in you that I'm finding the source of my faith. I know that you are faithful. And I know what you say is going to come to reality. There's, there's no place else to go. You know, sometimes it's interesting when you think about people making a faith commitment. You don't choose Christ. John 6, says, No one comes to the Son unless the Spirit of God draws him. And so I have a relationship with Christ. I mean, there was some participation in there, and God used other people to do it. But he had to convict my heart and call me into a relationship with himself. And you know what? I got no place else to go now. And that's where I'm placing my faith. And that's where I find God's faithfulness. And that's where I experience the fullness of God's love and faithfulness towards me. You move into Philippians 4, Paul says this, I, it, God, God is going to supply every need that I have according to the riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. God's going to supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ. And so when I pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's a different prayer than when I say, Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, but give me what I want. It's not what it says. God will supply every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so when we pray, our prayers are the root of those should be understanding what God's will is for our lives, especially when we're hurting and when we're in pain. There's a uh, gentleman named uh, Horatio Spafford. Does, anybody, does that name ring a bell to anybody? Horatio Spafford. When I became a uh, believer, I did not grow up in church. Um, so every once in a while, somebody will walk in and they'll start singing. They'll look at me like I'm supposed to know what to do. And I'm going, okay, sorry. <laughs> I remember when I first became a believer, it was Easter, and everybody was going, He is risen! And I was going, Amen! You're supposed to say he's arisen indeed. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I love this story. I ran into this uh, not too long after I became a believer. And the thing that captured my attention was his, his four kids. I've got four daughters. And, and uh, he lived in the 1800s. And um, he wrote the lyrics to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. That I absolutely fell in love with him. The history of that song, if you don't know it, you need to go look it up. It's, it's a fascinating story. His, uh, he was a businessman in Chicago, and uh, uh, his business didn't survive the Chicago fires. Uh, he had lost one of his kids to uh, leukemia, so he had five, and then he had four. And um, his wife was going to go out ahead of him on a, 
uh, was going to cross the ocean, and he couldn't go. He had to take care of some business. So he, he sent his wife and kids on, on the boat to cross the Atlantic. And about halfway through um, the story, I think he, he ran into a, another boat. So there was some catastrophe. And um, all of his kids drowned. And um, his wife got rescued. And um, when she got to the other side, she sent him a telegram. And this is all it said. I'm saved. I'm alone. I don't know what to do. And he heard, he found out the story about losing his kids. And, and uh, I can't imagine as a parent um, just the pain that w- you go through in the loss of a child. I've got family that have lost infants, newborns, you know, early pregnancies. I have lost a lot of family. I've got uh, probably 150 people in my extended family. My grandmother was, my great-grandmother, who I knew, was 15 when she got married, and her kids got married when they were 15, and my mom was young. My mom was older. She got married. I think she had to get permission from her parents. And so I, I turned 24. I'm like, I'm old! <laughs> but we had grandkids everywhere. I've got a lot of family, and we've lost a lot of family. And so I understand the pain for that. I can't imagine the pain of losing all four of my kids. And so he, in this midst of this hurt, he writes the words to this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I'm going to, that song has just, uh, this past week has just been near and dear to my heart, and I'm going to try, I'm going to lead you in it. We're going to sing that song together. You with me? So I'm going to give it a shot, but I need you to help me carry it. All right? It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well. These are the words written by a man who just lost his four kids. And it goes like this. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. The next verse. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan shall buffet, though trials come and go, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. With my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, this past week, it's as I've just kind of wrestled through lamentations, as as I've tried to get in touch with my emotions. It is achy, it is hard, it is difficult, and I met with the prayer team last week and. Got to go through some of those prayer requests, and we go through those one at a time. And um, I came to the prayer meeting with, man, things on my heart, and I got to the end, and I thought, you know what? We are all going through something. We've all got levels of brokenness in our life. 
It's my prayer for you this morning that you would understand fully the fact that God's faithfulness rests in who he is, not in your circumstances. And I pray that you would also recognize that the fullness of that faithfulness is recognized in who you are in Christ. And so if you're a believer this morning, I pray that you're encouraged. If you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ, you are in the right church. I'll leave you with this last verse. It's almost a prayer. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts, keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. And I just thank you that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the things going on in our lives, that we know that you are faithful. Just thank you for your call in our life. And uh, God, we look forward uh, to the great things that you're going to do in and through us, not just when things are going our way and not just when you know, we're happy about the outcome. But God, I pray that you'd meet us in our tragedy, in our times of distress and turmoil and need as well. I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together this morning. And uh, we lift this day up to you for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.